what I felt pressed upon me to share with you this morning is a message I've termed a victorious life. Now, I'm sure for many of you saints who have walked with the Lord for some time, you've heard many messages around being victorious, walking in victory, attaining victory. And today, I will be sharing a message along those lines. But I do trust in the message that I share with you, there will be something fresh. There will be something of fresh bread broken open for you today, and that there will be a release upon you, his people, to walk in a greater level of victory. For many of you here, I know you are struggling and times are tough. And I pray that this message will be a special encouragement to you. For those others that are in a good place and you're rejoicing and there is peace in your life and your family and your business, I rejoice with you. But even there, I say, there is room for more victory in your life and for the, for the Lord to rule and reign in you even more. So that is gonna be what I'm gonna share with you to the heart of the message, practically how to get into it as well. I don't just wanna share principles with you. I wanna give you something you can take home and begin to do and begin to see fruit coming from those actions. But before I move into my actual first point, there's one other thing I wanna bring to light, and I really felt this pressed upon my heart, was to encourage you as the people of God, as we come into this last part of the year, where many of us are tired and it's been a long year, that we would not enter into the silly season with the rest of the world. It would be to us a season of seeking, a season of seeking the Lord, not the silly season. I want to encourage you as his people, don't let your hair down in the natural to enjoy the things of the world because you've earned a right to relax. Now more than ever, I wanna say to you, step up your game in seeking the Lord in your prayer life. If you are tired, find your strength in Him. Don't go to the entertainments of the world to get your strength. Be a testimony from this point going into the rest of this year that you are not conformed to the world, even as Brother Peter Skoltz was sharing, but that we'd be transformed and that we'd be a testimony in this time. 1 Peter 5 verse eight in the Amplified says, be sober, well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. Let me say to you, let us devour the giants in front of us. Let us not be subject to the ways of the world as we go into the last part of this year as the people of God in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wonderful. With that being said, I want to now just begin with my first point. You are welcome to turn to Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, so long. We're gonna read that portion of scripture together. But my first point is, his victory is the foundation of our victory. Before we can have any idea of victory in this life, we need to understand that our victory is based off his victory. His victory took place on the cross where he said it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he completed the victory for all eternity. Everything was settled on the cross over 2,000 years ago. There is no further victory he is going to gain. It is completely done. It is a finished work. He is utterly victorious. That is the position that he occupies. That is what our God has accomplished for us. And so when we are trusting for victory in our own lives, let it be built on the understanding 
that we are not waiting for our God to be victorious. He is already victorious. Now let's read Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11 together, which proclaims the kind of authority that Jesus has. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no higher name. He rules all of creation. All that remains is the waiting for the remainder of his enemies to be made his footstool. Along those lines, I just want to read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 to 27a out of the Amplified. It says, for Christ must reign as king until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished and put to an end is death. For he, the Father, has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. We are not waiting for Jesus to rule. He is already ruling. All that remains is the remainder of his enemies to be placed under his feet, which will come in time, in God's time. It will happen. It's as sure as he is God and fills all in all. But now a very critical question must be asked of ourselves. We are to ask ourselves this question. How much does he rule and reign in us? We are trusting for his victory to be manifested in our lives, in our circumstances, in our businesses, in our relationships. We feel we're downtrodden and downcast and we're depressed even perhaps. And we feel like, well, where is this victory? But the first question I have to ask you, which only you can answer, is how much is he ruling and reigning in your own heart and life? I'm not talking about asking him to be your savior. I'm not saying, Lord, please come in and save me. I'm talking about taking it further to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. You are my savior. But I need you to be my complete Lord as well. Come and rule and reign in every area of my life. Because this is what is described in 1 Corinthians 15. If you go on in 1 Corinthians 15, the Father has subjected everything to Jesus' feet, and then when every one of his enemies is put under his feet, Jesus then takes all of that and submits it to the Father. So we need to take from this scripture that we ourselves need to be subject to Jesus. Yes, he saved us. We rejoice in that. We will rejoice for the rest of eternity. But we also need to say, Lord, I subject myself to you. I submit myself to you so that he can be Lord over every area of your life. What that then brings into the right perspective is what you will then pray for and how you will then operate will be in line with him. Because you're not gonna be asking him to bless your plans, your ideas, and what you want to see done. When you pray and you ask the Lord out of your own wisdom for his intervention, do not expect those prayers to be answered. He's gonna answer the prayers that are prayed according to his will. Along those lines, I wanna to read to you a portion of scripture out of 1 John 5, verse 14 to 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. When you cooperate with, the, with what the Father wants to do, you will have the blessing of the Father. 
to the degree that you deviate or turn from his divine purpose and plan, to that degree you will be ineffective. God is not gonna bless the work of your hands. He's gonna bless the work of his hands through you. That comes about by submitting yourself to him and saying, Lord, thank you, you saved me. Lord, come and be Lord over every area of my life. Now, I know you might also say, well, how do we go about practically doing that? And a fantastic word was shared a couple of weeks ago by Brother Rob Stewart. We spoke of, yes, we have the armor of God, but Romans 13 speaks about the armor of light and putting on the Lord Jesus. And that is what we also want to do. We wanna put on Christ. We wanna be conformed to his image. And I wanna share with you now a couple of points about how to go about that. And it brings me to my second point, which is molded by grace, then empowered by grace. This is where we start to get more practical with how to live a victorious life. And Paul learned an incredible principle, which he puts down in the scripture I'm gonna read to you, but let's read it together. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. I'll give you a moment to get there. Paul was a person who had the greatest of education. He was from a wealthy family. And yet, when he began to minister to the Lord, he employed a different principle. He didn't work from his own strengths and his own abilities. Not that he could, because by his own profession, even as John shared last week, Paul was perhaps very weak in terms of his physical presentation. But Paul learned an incredible principle and he teaches it to us here. Come, let's share in it together. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 out of the New King James. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm gonna stop there before going on. Paul was saying in this moment, who I am is who God makes me to be. I'm not going to try and mold myself. I'm not going to try and make myself into something more than I am. I am who I am because of him being the master potter and molding my life. I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so we see the second part of the scripture coming forth now. Firstly, Paul is molded by the Lord's grace. Secondly, he says, anything I do is only from his strength and his strength alone. I am who I am by the grace of God could have been said. God's grace is the molding, shaping influence, conforming me to the image of Christ. And then where Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. This could have been possibly rendered God's grace is the only power working through me to bring his will to pass. It's not my power or ability, but his grace alone that is at work through me. The Lord is not looking for the able. He's looking for those who are utterly surrendered to him. We need to be totally dependent on the Lord. Because in that place, it's an incredibly humbling place to be, but that is where we can cry out to him and say, Lord, you've got a work for me to do. And let me tell you, the work of the Lord will be incredibly intimidating in your own strength. You're not gonna look at what he's asking you to do and be able to say, oh, I got this, I got this covered. I'm gonna nail it in your own strength. He doesn't want you to operate in his own strength. He wants to be that which forms you into the instrument he can use 
and then he will use you. Amen. 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 Think about Moses the stutterer, or Jeremiah the youth, Gideon the least of his clan, or David the shepherd, Simon the fisherman, or Matthew the tax collector. All of these men that had a deficiency, a limitation, but their limitation caused them to draw from the Lord, to cry out to the Lord, to say, Lord, if you've got a purpose for me, you've got to help me, you've got to change me, I can't do it. And then he comes in his faithfulness and he does that. And then he equips us to be able to begin to minister according to his will because he is the author and the finisher of the work in our lives. I wanna give you a modern day parable to explain this a little bit more. Imagine yourself as a lump of clay and that the father is the potter and he wants to mold you to be a useful instrument, a prepared ministry, a prepared person in his hands. The more submitted to his lordship you are, the softer you are as clay. The more able he is to mold you into the instrument he desires to use. You cannot imagine something like a cracked and broken plastic container holding precious oil. But we can imagine a beautiful crafted, molded piece of pottery holding precious oil. So we come to the Lord as a cracked and broken vessel because most of us do come from a previous life of some kind. Some are privileged to grow up in a godly home, but even then there has to come the point where we say, Lord, I need you to save me because I'm incapable of myself. That is like presenting ourselves to him as that cracked and broken vessel. And then to say, Lord, I am who I am by the grace of God or I will be who you are calling me to be by your grace. My first prayer, come in and mold me and change me, save me, but then prepare me to be a jar, an instrument that can hold the preciousness of the ministry you have for me to walk in. And then I will be equipped to be able to be a good steward with that ministry because you have prepared me as the vessel. I am who I am by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. That is what Paul was saying here. And it's a principle that will serve you the rest of your life as it becomes revelation to you and goes to the depths of your hearts and spirits. So these are still principles. I want to share with you now something entirely practical towards you beginning to have a victorious life. Yes, it is based upon Jesus' victory. The principle is God shapes us, he molds us, then he uses us. But how do we appropriate the grace of God? And that is my third point, steps to appropriating God's grace. Is everyone alive in here? Can I get an amen? Amen, thank you. It's so quiet. I just trust you are receiving something. <laughs> Steps to appropriating God's grace. The first step, it might sound too simple, but the first step to appropriating God's grace is to believe that God loves you. You must believe that God loves you as an individual, as a unique person, as a child of his in whom he delights. You are not going to effectively move in victory unless you have an experience of the love of God in your life. Not just the mental understanding of it, but the heart realization. And if you don't know if you've had a heart realization, then I wanna tell you, pray for him to move upon you. Pray this prayer, Lord, show me how much 
you love me. I need an experience of your love. Some saints have lived for decades without the experience of the Father's love. And in essence, there's a crippling that takes place unless you've experienced his love. You are not going to be an effective ministry in his hand unless you know that he loves you and that he loves you personally. I must say though, I know that many saints, they saved but they stuck in some kind of habitual sin or mindset and they feel bound and they almost keep themselves away from the Lord because they feel like, well, I'm unworthy to be near God because I can't break this habit. The honest truth is you're not gonna be able to break that habit anyway, not in your own strength. You gotta get to God. Your habitual sin, that thing you are struggling with is not your identity. That is not who you are. You are still at the core of your being made from the DNA that God gave you. And what we need to do, or what anyone needs to do if you're struggling, is get to God. To say, Lord, I pray that you will help set me free. And the experience of his love is an incredible step in that process to being set free. I want to tell you, God is not limited by your limitations. What we do is we look at our limited selves and then we look at what God is calling us to and we're too afraid to step into it because we think, but I can't. And the honest truth is, yes, in yourself you can't, but if you are molded by his grace and you begin to pray, I will be who you have called me to be by your grace, all of a sudden, the calling that he's got for you to step in is no longer something intimidating or fearful, but actually something you can be excited about and embrace because it's gonna be done in his strength. So you must believe that he loves you. You must believe that he is able to fix you and heal you. If something is broken, you take it to the manufacturer. They are the ones with all the expertise. We as his people, as his children, we come from him. We are his creation. Go to him. Ask him to heal you and pray for an experience of his love. Now, built upon the experience of his love is, as step two, the continuous practice of his presence. The continuous practice of his presence. This isn't just having a thought about God or coming on a Sunday and then you've got to focus. It speaks about a lifestyle of developing a nearness to the Lord, of having within your own heart a continuous yearning towards having an experience with him, of growing in relationship with him. Practicing his presence is a yearning that is given life by our intentional drawing near to him wherever we find ourselves. Now this was uh, put in a book by a, uh, a, a saint called uh, Brother Lawrence. He was a, a monk living in the Middle Ages and he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It was actually a collection of letters that he had written. But he learned how to practice God's presence doing the most normal day-to-day -day functions, working in the kitchen, going about his day-to-day -day tasks. There was this yearning and this reaching towards the Lord. And let me tell you what this bring, bring, uh, brings to pass within our lives and in our hearts. That when we begin to practice his presence, we think of the Lord and we immediately, Lord, I love you. I wanna be near you. I'm yearning to spend time in your presence. Lord, I pray for your grace to help me do today's work. Oh, it's going through the motions. It's so boring. But I'll do it as unto you and not to men. I pray for your presence while I go through my day-to-day -day responsibilities. And whenever you think of him, you reach out to him. That is the practice of his presence. Now, what it actually brings to pass in your life 
is a greater awareness of the Lord than your circumstances. Now when that takes place, fear becomes less, anxiety becomes less, because you're more focused on God than you are on what's surrounding you. The degree to which we fear or are anxious is the degree to which we are more aware of our circumstances than God. Now that might sound like a harsh statement to some of you, especially some of you going through some really deep waters. You say, oh, that's easy to say from the stage, Murray. But I can give you scripture where there are examples of a a victory in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And the first is, as I'd like to read to you out of Matthew 14, verse 28 to 31, where Jesus came to the disciples walking on water. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So we have the situation where Peter gets out of the boat and he begins walking on water. While he's focused on Jesus, he's walking on the water. The moment his focus changes to the storm, he begins to sink. There's no indication in the scripture that the intensity of the storm got more as he walked closer to Jesus. It's not like when he got out of the boat, it was a category one storm. And by the time he started getting closer, it was a category two, like the wind just got all of a sudden more. The storm was consistent. There was no increase in the intensity of the storm. The only thing that changed was his focus on Jesus. And the moment his focus was off Jesus, he began to sink. The mercy is that Jesus caught him. He will catch us as well. He loves us. We're his children. But imagine if the story had been that Peter got to Jesus and they turned around and walked to the boat together. And that was possible because Jesus said, why did you doubt? And The same invitation is to us. Let us be more aware of him than our circumstances. Another fantastic example is the example of Paul. He was in a storm for two weeks on a ship bound for Rome. There were 276 people on that ship and 275 of them, including Luke, the author of Acts, this is all out of Acts 27, said that they despaired for their lives. There were two weeks where they didn't eat, the storm was so intense. And there was one man, Paul, who was more aware of the Lord than the storm. He sought the Lord in prayer, and out of the midst of that seeking of the Lord, an angel appeared to him, gave him a word. The word wasn't just for Paul, it was for all of them, they were all saved. Even though the ship was wrecked, not one life was lost. Because Paul was more aware of the Lord than the storm. And we can gain this by beginning to practice his presence. Because if you are continuously looking to the Lord, when the storm comes, it will not overwhelm you. And I wanna share a scripture along those lines. Psalm 32, verse 67 says, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. When is a time when God may be found? At all times. But it also speaks about continuously seeking him. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. They shall not come near the person who is praying to to the Lord in a time when he may be found. The storm might be there. The storm was surrounding Paul. The storm was surrounding Peter while he was walking on the water, but it wasn't overwhelming him 
until his focus changed. Ask God to teach you to have a greater awareness of him than what surrounds you. And let me tell you, this is both for the blessings in our life as well as the difficulties. Some people are challenged by the difficulty, by, by the blessings. Unexpected wealth and prosperity, breakthrough in business. In those moments, keep your focus on the Lord just as much. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we can be just as much distracted in the good times as we are by the bad. The focus must be continuously on him and practicing his presence. And out of that, we are gonna take a huge step forward to a victorious life. Now the third step I wanna share with you. The first, believe God loves you. The second, practice his presence. The third is to partake of his fullness. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean is you are not meant to operate in your own strength for life. He is the well that will never run dry. We are not meant to be like candles that we're always drawing from our own strength till we burn ourselves out. The difference between this and practicing his presence is the practice of his presence, yes, it's drawing near to him, it's fellowshipping, it's being aware of him, but partaking of his fullness is drawing from the very life of God into your life. And the scripture that speaks to this is a very well-known one, I'm sure you all know, but I will read it to you, Isaiah 40 verse 31. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That speaks about an endurance beyond natural capacity. And the key is to wait on God. Now, what is that wait? Well, I looked up the original word and it's carve. Carve. My surname's carve. It's not carve. It's carve. All right. It's a Q-A-V-A-H. And what it means is to bind together to expect, to look for. So to partake of his fullness, to wait on the Lord, is to bind yourself to him in prayer. It's a focus. It's a drawing from him. Lord, I draw your life, please. I meditate on your word that you said as I wait on you, I'll bind myself to you. I need your strength because I'm struggling in the natural and you've got the strength for me to, to be more than an overcomer through Christ who strengthens me. I'm calling on you, Lord. Help me. That is a prayer he will answer. Another scripture that speaks so clearly to this is John 7, verse 38, out of the Amplified Classic Version. It says, he who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in me. Now, cleave and bind to mean the exact same thing. They're synonyms. So those who cleave to the Lord and trust in him and rely on him, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs of living water. It's a flow that never stops. It's the Holy Spirit within you. And so it's like a candle. We, we, we are not meant to be like a candle burning ourselves out. We're meant to be like a lamp where the wick of our lives is in the Lord himself. And in those moments where we feel that we are becoming tired or even before, we proactively, we wait upon him. We say, Lord, I need your life in my life that I can, I can run and perform beyond my natural capacity in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the fourth and final step, and we're drawing to a close, is that there must be an outflow of your life. The Lord did not create you to be an island in this world. He did not create you to be an isolated event. Where he would come into your life, save you, and then you live out the rest of your life hidden to the world and the ministry he's got for you. He has got something for you to do. Now in the past, that might have been an intimidation, but after what I've shared with you this morning, I trust 
that you will have new faith to believe that you can step into what God has got for you to do because he has got a process to form you and mold you and encourage you and out of that, you will then be released into what he has for you to do. Do not be like the Dead Sea, be like the Sea of Galilee. Both seas are fed by the Jordan River but the Sea of Galilee has an inflow and then an outflow and the Dead Sea only has an inflow, a healthy life, for a disciple, a believer in the Lord, is someone who receives from him and then gives out again. And after what I've shared with you today, we essentially have no excuse before the Lord why we can't do anything. Because even as I've said to you, it's never gonna be about our own strength. I'd like to read something to you. A victorious life is not one where every circumstance goes right all the time. It is a life submitted to the Lord a life molded by his grace, where what is done is done by his grace, where through the reality of his love and the practice of his presence, we are more aware of him than circumstances or trouble. It is a life that partakes of his fullness, waiting on him, and then ministers out of that day by day by day. Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand. I'd like to invite you to stand. I just want to pray over you and then I'll release the service directly thereafter. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we stand before you as your people today, looking to you to be our shepherd. Lord, we are sheep, you are the shepherd. And we submit to your shepherding. Lord, may we open up our lives to you completely that you would speak to us about anything that is on your heart to speak to us. Lord, may we be molded by your grace so that we could be empowered and used by your grace. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a far greater understanding and experience of your love than we've ever had. To those who've had that experience, take it deeper. To those who are yet to have that experience, move upon them as only you can today. Love on your people. Show them how much you care, Lord, I ask you. Lord, out of that, I pray that we would then practice your presence, which is so very difficult unless we've had the experience of your love. So Lord, teach us how to practice your presence, to yearn for you, to reach into you, to be more aware of you than that which surrounds us. And then Lord, help us to partake of your fullness, to wait upon you, to cleave to you, to bind ourselves to you, that we would have the strength we need to more than overcome through you who strengthen us. And finally, Lord, give us opportunity to express this ministry. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be flashy. Lord, most times you use those who are utterly dependent on you and we depend upon you in this time. But Lord, move through us to accomplish your purpose that we might walk in what you've called us to walk in and be faithful before you now and for all of our days ahead, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.